You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Lewis Kornfeld. My guest today is the great Dubs Weinblatt. Dubs, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, uh, bef- before we talk, uh, uh, Evan, our producer, will sometimes send out emails to guests to ask what's on their mind recently, what you'd like to talk about. Your email made me laugh when I read it, which was that, uh, uh, I'm not going to quote this exactly, but uh, you haven't been feeling great about performing recently. Maybe we can cover that. Yeah, that sounds good. I I believe it was extreme fear of performing. Extreme fear, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the quote. Extreme fear of performing. Mm -hmm. What's up? (laughs) Um, You know, I, I haven't really been performing regularly. I was on a musical megawatt team about a year ago and teams were reshuffled and I was not put back on a team and that was kind of a confidence shaker upper Mm -hmm. and um, I just kind of switched hats anyway from performing to producing um, my show Thank You For Coming Out and in doing that I started performing less and less Mm -hmm. and in doing that my confidence got smaller and smaller and so now um, before I get on stage, I have extreme, extreme fear. And uh, just the other day, there was a show, and I didn't want to get on stage, and Michael Lutton basically pushed me on stage because he knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, even on stage, I was up there, and I was sitting there and watching Nikita do his thing, and then um, it was my turn to do something, and I didn't. And mm-hmm. literally every single person on the stage came and surrounded me and basically... Uh, held my hand until I started singing. And then once I got into it, it was okay. But it just was like, it was so hard for me that literally seven other people had to come and like boost me. Which was a very beautiful thing of seven other people to do. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but for you, that fear manifests in a frozen quality. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. just, I, I just, even right now, I like don't know what to say. Cause I'm just, I get scared. I get in my head and then I don't want to move forward. Yeah. Let's work our way back around to to freezing on stage. It's an interesting topic. I'll okay. tell you the scariest moment I ever had on stage, and I still haven't squared up exactly what this was. Mm-hmm. I was performing, I was working on a cruise ship um, for Second City, and we were doing our improv show in the upstairs lounge. It's like a big, like 300-seat bar. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of one of the games, I was emceeing the game, and as the game was going on, I had this like momentary, it's hard to describe, but it was like, like a flash followed by the thought, what am I doing here? And not like an existential, like how did this happen? But like, like a total memory lapse of like looking around and piecing together. I'm in a show, I'm performing. I'm going to have to say words in the next 10 seconds. And Mm. I'm going to have to explain what's going on for people. It was the most terrifying feeling I've ever had on stage. It, It going blank to like the most extreme I've ever experienced. Mm, yeah. I still don't know what it was. And then like my sense of like security of being a performer came back. I've had this before. Do you drive? I do not in New York, but at home. Yeah. It's, it's no use driving in New York. Yeah. Every now and again, I'll scare the shit out of myself when I'm driving on a highway. If I let myself think, how do I know how to drive? Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like the part of my brain that's thinking that is not the part of my brain that's actually like absorbed the feel of driving. Mm-hmm. And it goes into like a panic and it tries to like, 
then take like executive control over my hands and it's the worst feeling. And I kind of feel like that's probably what happened in that moment of like the wrong part of my brain suddenly came online yeah. and had like no memory of like experience. It had no muscle memory of like what the hell was happening. That's so scary. It was a little scary. I had a similar experience. I, I used to do a lot of stand up mm-hmm. and I would have been rehearsing the same, you know, five minutes for months and months and months. And I had a show at the Broadway comedy club and this had never happened before. I was standing up there and I was in the middle of speaking and mid sentence. I completely blanked. Yeah. I had no idea what I was talking about. I couldn't, I even sat there for like 10, I don't know how long it was, probably 10 seconds or something like you said. And it was terrifying because I was like, I don't know what's next. And I even, I eventually turned to the audience. I was like, what did I just say? And they had to tell me the last thing I said. I was like, oh yeah, pussies or, you know, something like that. Uh-huh. I have dirty stand up. So good. Great. That's <laughs> how did they respond to you asking for guidance back into your set? Um, it didn't seem like they cared that much. Yeah. They just, I think they were just like, all right, keep going. Yeah. It wasn't that big of a crowd. And one, yeah, it wasn't, a, didn't, it wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was going to be. I actually like as an audience member, I, I like moments like that. There, there's something, sorry, I'm moving the microphone. There's, uh, um, there, there's like, I guess it's like a vulnerability to the performer that I find engaging, but, mm-hmm. but also like a lack of, I, I like it when it doesn't sort of feel like oh, this is something that's come out of your mouth a thousand times already. It's Definitely. already a well-polished... I like it when, when people like have to kind of um, be there with what they're talking about. Yeah, totally agree. So, all right, so stand-up to me seems way terrifying. Improv is scary as hell, but stand-up seems way terrifying. What, mm-hmm. what has your experience been of those two different universes? Oh, no, I think that improv is scary in the sense that you have no idea what's going to be happening, but you have teammates to support you. And then with stand-up, you're prepared and you've written, but again, you still have no idea what's going to happen and how the room is going to react. Because I've, I've read, you know, I've done my bit to one room where I've gotten uproarious laughter mm-hmm. and then the same exact bit to crickets. So it's just it's different kinds of fear for the different art form. Did I, I don't think I answered your question. No, but you're, you're <laughs> like circling it. So this is a question I'm always curious to ask people when mm-hmm. we get on the topic of fear, which in the life of a comedian, you get on the topic of fear an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, now I lost my train of thought because Peter McNerney just walked by and made eye contact with both of us. Oh, here, here it is. So like, what keeps you coming back repeatedly? What like... What what is it? What is it about this fear that is both repellent and attractive at the same time? Because I think that like performer anxiety has a little bit of both of those qualities. It just really makes you sweat it. Mm-hmm. But also, there's something that like you keep on coming back for more of this. So like, what is it for you about it that you find both attractive and repellent? Um, well, the fear is. Um it manifests physically like heart pounding sweating and you know i i freeze mm-hmm. um but there's something about um and this is obviously easier for me to say right now than actually getting up on stage and doing it but there's something about facing that and then kind of overcoming that fear um and then it's pretty exhilarating to be like oh i actually did that mm-hmm. i know what i'm doing why am i being so hard on myself um and just kind of trying to remember that exhilaration um, I think is what keeps me coming back and remembering, oh, I have this team that's supporting me or I have, um, 
this community that's supporting me and they're not they're not rooting for me to fail they're rooting for me to succeed mm -hmm. so even if I fumble over my words or forget song structure no one cares mm -hmm. they're just happy mm -hmm. and happy to see a show so the exhilaration is what keeps me coming back for me um, my body just gets really tired leading up for like two hours leading up to a show and I just start like falling asleep on the train on my way in to perform and I assume that it's some part of my body that's literally trying to just turn the rest of it off as a way to like stop me from going ahead and doing it mm. and then when my body realizes that I'm like powering through anyway then there's like a last minute moment of like total mortal terror mm -hmm. and then that terror if you're lucky more often than not more often than not Sometimes not, but more often than not, that terror, there's a moment where it transforms into, like, energy and, like, um, kind of like a lit-up mental quality. And that's a pretty nice feeling. Definitely. And I'm a little bit surprised that you need the constant reminder that that feeling of terror and, and anxiety is, like, the the build-up of a charge that's about to spend itself. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like touching like a socket with like a raw finger. You, you f kind of forget that like, oh, there's power here. It's just it feels so fucking uncomfortable. And I wish I could remember that and just kind of like ignore it when it comes up. But God bless, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. Dubs Weinblatt, you hail from Columbus, Ohio. Is That's that right. correct? That's right. Oh, Take me through Ohio. What's it like? Um, it is. It's beautiful. It's small, but it's not. It's small in the sense of square footage or mm -hmm. mileage or whatever but um there's a lot of people a lot of diversity there's a really big welcoming gay community there um i went to school in columbus at ohio state um go bucks go bucks go bucks all right yeah nice um football yeah right. yeah pigskin hell yeah <laughs> um i actually took my first improv class ever in columbus ohio mm -hmm. Um, I walked in and I hear this voice going, no shit. And it was one of my teachers from high school. Oh, wow. And it was so, how, how old were you? Um, 25. Maybe? Okay. So, so it was so far past. A grown up. Yeah. Okay. Grown up. Grown yeah. up age. Um, and that was really cool. And I took two levels in Columbus and I was like, time for New York. Really? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, what like led you to walk into that room to begin with? Um, I don't know. My friends always would say, you're so funny. You should do stand up. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Mm. So I just like looked online for comedy classes and improv came up. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really even know what improv was, but it was the only comedy class that was being offered anywhere near where I was. Mm -hmm. So I decided just to take it and see what it was like and then fell in love. What was it like? What are they teaching in, in when you were in Columbus? Um, oof, that was so long ago. Um, we did a lot of like, listening and agreeing and building, uh, like typical improv, improv stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think what else. Long form based? No, I think it was more short form. Okay. Now that you're mentioning it. Um, yeah, I think it was more short form. But it was, it was cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, do you did you have a specific reason for New York versus any of the other like big improv cities? Yeah, um, about five of my best friends from college all moved here. It's a good reason. Yeah, and so I was like, well, here I go. How long ago was that? A little over five years ago. Cool. Mm -hmm. Nice. Happy. 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 Uh, 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 penta. Oh, there's got to be a word for this. 
I think so. A handful of years. Happy handful of years. A literal handful of years. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice. So what did you do when you first moved to New York? What was the plan when you got here? Comedy? Yeah, I actually had signed up for um, a UCB intensive because mm-hmm. I didn't have a job when I moved here. It was literally like a leap of faith when I moved here. That's cool. Um, and I signed up for that and um, actually got an interview the day I moved here got the job and had to start the following week. So I didn't even get to do the, um, the intensive. Mm-hmm. But I did um, meet up with my cousin and her friend, and he was like, she was like, talk to, talk to him. He knows about improv. So he's like, oh, yeah, I do musical improv at the Magnet Theater. And I was like, what's musical improv? And he kind of explained to me exactly what it is, and I had no idea it existed. And that, forever, that conversation forever changed my life because I never took a class at UCB, and I immediately came and took classes at the Magnet. Hmm. Um, and that changed everything. Did you have a taste for musical going into that, or was his conversation that persuasive? Well, I always have liked I always liked musicals and singing and making songs up on my own. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that you that they were this, you could do it at the same time. And mm-hmm. so he was pretty convincing of like this is so much fun. We make up musicals and different genres and blah blah blah. And so I was like, I need to do that. I have to do that. Did the learning how to structure a narrative and, and like apply like scenic elements into into singing, did that speak to you immediately or was there like a like a transitional phase where you had to kind of like develop the feel for it? Definitely develop. I'm yeah. still developing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a favorite musical? Was there one that spoke to you at like a particular moment? Um... Yeah, Rent. Uh-huh. I it was. I never saw it on Broadway, but it, there was a touring show in Columbus when I was a freshman in college, and I didn't really know anything about it. Um, but my friend invited me to go with her, and I was I was still in the closet at the time, uh-huh. and so um, seeing the show was so profound, and seeing gay people on stage and uh, well characters, and um, it was just it was. F- Phenomenal! It was life changing for me, and um, I went back. I think like three or four more times before it left Columbus because mm-hmm. I had to get it as much as I could before it was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, may I ask when you came out? Sure, I was twenty. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. And now you tend to thank you for coming out, which I want to talk about in great detail. Sure. In a few moments. Absolutely. Um. But I can only begin to imagine the profundity of that experience of coming out to people. Mm, yeah. I actually, um, I have two coming outs. I have my coming out as gay and then coming out as genderqueer. Mm-hmm. So there, I've had in that, and coming out as genderqueer was only like two years ago. Um, and still, I'm still trying to grapple with like what that means and how do people act around me and towards me and with me. And, um, but so, um, you know, I came out when I was 20 as gay, and um, it wasn't as freeing as I thought it was going to be hmm. because I, I was dealing with the gender identity problems, but I didn't know that I was dealing with them, if okay. that makes sense. I, I think so. So let me back up a little bit. So I had kind of like a little bit of a drinking problem yeah. and very emotional and depressed prior to coming out when I was 20 as gay. And... Um, 
you know, it was one of those things where like I couldn't communicate what I needed to communicate with anyone around me because I was too terrified of here again the fear the fear of coming out and being disowned or losing my friends or my family. So I kept that in for as long as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a friend was basically like, um, "You are so sad and you're so miserable. You're mean when you're drunk, and I need you to either tell me what's going on or I can't keep taking care of you." Mm-hmm. So I. Um, I basically told her that I was bisexual on a post-it. I wrote it down because I couldn't even verbally say how I was feeling. And um, that was kind of like my transition from like, I'm bisexual, and then eventually came out as gay. But, um, but then, you know, I thought, I thought that once I was able to be open and honest about my sexuality, that all of those like demons would go away, and they kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. So um, they got less, for sure. I didn't drink as much, but I definitely drank a lot. And... Um, so it wasn't until it actually was it was interesting I was at a lipstick lesbian awareness party in the Lower East Side and it was basically a party for femme lesbians um, who who feel invisible because no one thinks they're gay because they don't I'm doing air quotes they don't look gay mm-hmm. um, and so this was a, a party for them um, and I got there and I, I, was, I was never feminine but um, I thought, well, at least I'll fit in because I'm a lesbian, mm-hmm. and you know, to that degree. And as soon as I got there, I started feeling even more out of place. I was like, how do I not fit in? I'm a lesbian. And then it all kind of shattered, and my gender identity kind of just like came to the surface. And I was like, oh, I don't identify as a woman. That's why I don't feel like I fit in here. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was just like, I don't identify with my name. I don't identify with my chest. I don't identify with... Um, my pronouns, even though I still use she, her, but all of those kinds of realizations were coming to the surface at once at this party. Um, that was the longest answer, and I don't even know if I answered your question. No, it did. It, <laughs> it, 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 excuse me, please tell me if I'm getting too personal with any questions. No, you can ask me anything. Thank you. Is it a realization of... Because of, I'm trying to think of like... Coming to have that clarity with yourself, coming mm-hmm. to have coming coming to a realization of something that you don't have the words for, mm-hmm. realizing that there's a turmoil, and the reason that there's a turmoil is because there's there's something under there that is almost like transparent because you don't have a label for it. Right. So, is it a realization of my identity? is not true to my perceptions of myself or is it kind of a realization of oh there isn't a word for how I is it, is it is it a letting go of a label or is it a finding a different identity does that make sense i don't know if i'm like no yeah it does and I, it's kind of a combination of both i mm. think um because i think part of the reason why i wasn't able to come to terms with my um gender identity um, was because I didn't have the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't aware that genderqueer was a thing or non-binary was a thing. Um, non-binary, for those of you who don't know, means... Um, also, the binary is male and female, so meaning one or the other. Non-binary means um, you don't fall on one or the other, you fall somewhere in the middle. Um, or identify as, it, as, the binary, as part of the binary at all. Sorry, I'm fumbling. Um, so... For me, it was, A, I didn't have the language to even know that that was a thing because I knew that, um, 
transgender was a thing, mm. but I didn't feel like I was transgender. So it was like, well, if I'm not transgender, then I have to be what I am told that I was, you know, by society. I am a woman and I had to live by those labels. And so, so it was, yeah, partly because I didn't have the words for it and partly um, it's hard. I mean, it's the hardest thing I've done is um, come to terms with, n- give, you know, not using Laura anymore mm-hmm. and um, having everyone in my life transition from calling me that to dubs mm-hmm. or not being referred to as daughter or sister because um, I don't prefer those words. Um, also, I mean, even same with my, I had top surgery in June, which is a double mastectomy. So I, I got both of my breasts removed um, because they didn't fit my identity or my body or how I perceived myself. Mm. And, you know, being honest and authentic with myself and knowing that I needed to do that was the thing that I needed the most to like finally be okay with myself and be comfortable and feel 100% authentic. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of layers to this that that are very very interesting Mm -hmm. but before we dive in it so was there a a different like a pronounced difference in quality of coming out as genderqueer from when you had originally come out as lesbian like did did that bring the lightness that you had assumed was going to come when you first came out yes okay Mm -hmm. definitely so there's there's a moment where you recognize it you see it and suddenly the lights turn on there's a clarity to it yeah and and then also the difference I think for me, coming out as genderqueer versus, you know, gay or lesbian was, um, I was, I'm much more better about communicating now. I mean, I came out again about eight years later. Mm -hmm. So I was eight years older, had more experience and knew the danger of keeping something like that inside. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, so the moment that I realized that there was something I needed to talk about, I talked about it with everyone Mm -hmm. until they didn't want to talk to me anymore. Mm -hmm. That's not true, but meaning I talk to everyone all the time about it Yeah, to be as open and try to, um, work out, work things through. Am I transgender? I don't know. And in, am I genderqueer? I don't know. It was just those kinds of conversations that had to happen, Mm -hmm. um, for me to be as honest as I could. It's a very difficult thing for anybody to be that direct and that genuine with the people around you. But I imagine, I, I can only imagine that with that level of insight into yourself, um, it's a very logical next step to have to kind of reframe your life to be very direct and genuine with people, Mm -hmm. to not hold back and and not like suppress where you're coming from. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, I think, I don't know, there's definitely more of an awareness of this in general now. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I kind of sense that it's the wave of the future. Um, this kind of like budding realization that language itself is deeply flawed because it has a tendency to nail everything down in terms of solid nouns. Mm-hmm. And actual lived experience is mostly lived in the realm of verb and process and, and transactions and not really things. So we have names for everything and we kind of live in this kind of collective hallucination. I'll use the word hallucination lightly, Mm -hmm. but it is a collective shared agreed upon hallucination in which our words for things and our labeling of nouns 
actually exists in experience. Mm -hmm. And so like there's a level where, where if there's a really serious disconnect between actual lived experience, but like the way that our brains are processing what this is supposed to be defined as, how we're supposed to conceptualize it, I think that like all these multiple levels of a person's personality just begin kind of like knocking away to call attention to you that there's like a problem here until you wake up to the fact that reality is actually real and lived experience is actually real and mm-hmm. our categories for things are conveniences right. at best mm-hmm. until they become inconvenient at worst. Right. So it, like there's an interesting, I'm always like really curious about that about what it means to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about this on a much shallower level than you're talking about it because I, I'm talking about it only on the level of like, what do I really want versus what have I been indoctrinated to want? Mm-hmm. What do I really think? How do I really feel versus am I just mirroring people's opinions? Mm-hmm. For me, that hasn't really penetrated to a depth of questioning my identity mm-hmm. other than the occasional second guessing of, of I wonder if some of my anger issues don't have to do with like insisting upon a continuous identity and personality when there's like a gap I've been reading a lot of Buddhism recently so mm-hmm. I probably need a little more context behind that statement Okay. so that's like one, one, one layer to this that I find really interesting the other thing, like, um, as you had top surgery, mm-hmm. so that's a pretty profound step to take. Mm-hmm. What was it like? What was the lead up to that? Like, when, when, when did you feel certain about doing that? I felt certain about it that night at a lipstick lesbian really? awareness party. I think it was just it all just kind of hit me at once. And um, I think that was two summers ago. Um, cause I was, you know, I was imagining my messenger bag and how it goes across my chest mm-hmm. and how much I despise that. And mm-hmm. it's like, why do I hate that so much? And why is this thought coming to me right now at this party where I don't even have my bag with me? And it just really got me thinking. And then I started thinking, um, about intimacy, really. How personal can we get on this podcast? As personal as you like. Okay. So, you know, I was thinking about intimacy and being with partners and how I would never touch their chest because Mm -hmm. to me that was an invitation for them to touch mine Mm -hmm. and I didn't know I wasn't aware of this until after the fact of me looking back and thinking about it um but that was totally a thing that I um was doing was like was avoiding to then be you know you know what I'm trying to say sure yeah Uh, I didn't want to be touched back so um so it was you know all of those you know I would have I have body um it, basically just body issues and discomfort being in my own body and I had a friend look down or knock down look at look at me and speak and say um obviously speak I'm getting nervous now um she was like what what do you have planned to wear after your surgery and the things that I were describing were like Hawaiian shirts and brightly colored um you know shirts that like highlighted my body and she looked at me and she's like and how do you how does that compare to what you wear now and I looked down and I was literally wearing camouflage mm-hmm. I was wearing camo shorts and like dark and I'm wearing dark now but um, a dark shirt and you know baggy clothes to hide my body um, and the second I had the, my surgery I stopped doing that I stopped wearing the cargo shorts and I stopped wearing 
the baggy clothes because I was finally okay with how my body looked. And um, so, you know, once I knew that that was something that I had to get done, it took me it took me over a year to finally take the steps to get the surgery because, like you said, it's such a profound thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's something that I needed to think about for a lot. Even though I was so sure, I wanted to be extra double, triple sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once I made my consultation appointment, it, that was it. I was ready to go. And that was, I had my consultation in April, and I had my surgery in June. How do you feel now? The best I've ever felt. That's great. Yeah. Boy, it could not be more opposite, camouflage versus the Hawaiian shirt. That's right? it. That's the spectrum right that is. there. That is the binary. It is. <laughs> the, or, or the level of wanting to retreat inside yourself versus the level of wanting to announce yourself. I don't yeah. care, Dubs, what anybody says. I love Hawaiian shirts, and I'll tell you why. There's something very reassuring. You ever, have you ever been, like, like really sick, like physically ill, or, like, really sad, and, and just, like, things feel bleak, and then, like, you, you watch, like, a funny movie or something, and it just gives that feeling of, like, are we going to be okay? Mm-hmm. Or, like, it's one of those, like, lonely, long nights where, like, you're up way past your bedtime and everything else is asleep and you're just feeling, like, really... You're feeling that, like, hollowness. Mm-hmm. And you put on that TV and there's just, like, a feeling of, like, we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. It's like we a got lightness. This. We got this. That's how Hawaiian shirts make me feel. And I don't care... I don't care who shits on me about that. Oh, I hope no one shits on you about that. People shit on the Hawaiian shirt. Well, those people are stupid. I think so. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's, a great, there's a great sense of, like... Uplift. There's an optimism to the Hawaiian shirt. Definitely. I'm on record now with saying that. Great. I second it. Yeah. Uh, um, let's talk about performance a little bit. Okay. Uh, so I want to get back around to um, insecurity with performance, too, because that is another we performers are addicted to feelings of insecurity mm-hmm. Shock to a shocking extent. Mm-hmm. I wonder sometimes if, and this is... Obviously, I'm definitely like, this will be uh, uh, pretentious. But I wonder if there isn't some way of, of, on a miniature scale of coping with the insecurities of performance, if it doesn't make us feel a little bit better prepared as human beings to cope with the insecurity of just like the bigger picture of the day-to-day life, the coping of all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You mind if we talk about your stage fright? No, let's do it. Great. I talked about my boobies. So let's talk about stage fright. Stage fright should be nothing. All right. Well, actually, before we talk about stage fright, because I want to get back to that lovely story of the cast of Thank You for Coming Out. Okay. Uh, 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 holding your hand, mm-hmm. which could not be a lovelier image. Yeah. But I also want to talk about community support. Yes. Because, uh, so I, I would imagine that both coming out and making a, a, a pretty serious physical change in yourself mm-hmm. along with the effect that it has on you also requires a, a, a pretty healthy amount of community support. You have to have a good network of friends and people who, who will dance with you on that, mm-hmm. which on a much, much smaller, much less profound, but still quite lovely level is also mirrored pretty nicely in the world of improv where Definitely. it's one of the values we supposedly tout. And in your best moments, you know that it's true because the best moments come when we become a larger body together. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I have a question in there other than I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, Excuse me. Um, No, absolutely. I wouldn't have been able to get through any of this without community and without friends. And, excuse me, um, especially the magnet community. Hmm. Um, I had people, um, I I don't know, maybe like 50 people put money on a gift card to give to me to help with lifts and Ubers to and from the doctor so I could order food um, so I wouldn't have to worry about it during recovery. Um, And that came as a complete surprise. I had no idea that that was happening. Mm. And uh, people made food. And I had um, Brad, Brad Benson, came to my apartment with, you know, those huge Ikea bags, the blue ones, Mm -hmm. full of food that people from the, the, excuse me, the magnet community had cooked, baked, purchased, everything uh, put in the bag, and he brought it to me. So I had a refrigerator and freezer full of food, uh, so I wouldn't have to worry about it. And it was just, it was mind-blowing because, I don't know, I just feel so safe and so, um, I feel at home, you know, with this community, the magnet community, especially the thank you for coming out community. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, whenever I need anything, I know I can count on, at least a handful of people who will come and help me, and I feel the same way about my community. Um, but yeah, it's, um, and I have my friends from home, like I mentioned, they all moved here from college, um, and they were all here, and my mom flew in to take care of me, my brother was here, my sister was here, and um, it was just, it was, I don't know if saying humbling is, I don't know if that's the right term or the right phrase, but I was just blown away and so happy and might start crying but like just so what's the what is the word humble yeah is that it there's something i think close to it but i I get what you mean because it's not exactly humbling right it's not humbling but there is you learn something about humility yeah when you suddenly see how many people love you and will go out of your out of their way to to be there for you yeah it's that like you get that like glimmer sometimes Mm -hmm. because you live so I mean you're the star of your life you know and and it's it's one continuous insane monologue constantly in your head and every now and again you have an experience where you realize that you're just like a a, a drop in a much larger sea Mm -hmm. and there is an experience of humility from that it's not exactly humbling yeah I knew that wasn't right but but it's 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 that feeling of of like oh oh yeah right that I am loved yeah exactly yeah um yes I read something that I very much enjoyed. Like I said, I've been reading a bunch of Buddhism recently. So I, I was reading about this uh, conception of heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. Here's the description. I, I don't know if you know this one already. The description of hell is a bunch of people sitting around a large banquet table filled with food. And they all have little tiny arms. And they all have gigantic forks. And so they're like using the forks to like, pick up the food. But mm-hmm. then their arms are so small that they can't feed themselves with the fork. So Mm. they're constantly, they're starving to death, surrounded by everything that they need and are incredibly frustrated. Can't they just feed each other? That's the picture of heaven. Oh. oh. Heaven is exactly the same thing, but they're all feeding each other. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. I really like that. That's cool. I like that because it suggests that heaven doesn't mean that the problems are solved. It's the same frustrations and problems, but there's a different tactic. Yeah, a different perspective. I like yeah, that. I like that very much. Um, uh, okay. Oh, I lost my train of thought by telling that stupid thing. We were, we were talking about community, and we were talking about stage fright. We yeah. Talking- 
So yeah, okay. So 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 um yeah, let's get into it. So so you after the shake up of the last round, was it the last round of teams or the previous round? It was la- it was a year ago. A year ago. So two rounds ago. And that rattled your confidence. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um so for me I had been auditioning for years and, yeah. and got cut and got cut again, but kept getting, kept going, coming back because I really, really, really wanted to be on a team. And then I was cut again. And I, I it's so long, maybe three Septembers ago. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But at, at one point I was cut in September and then a spot opened up on a team and they wanted me to join them. I think it was two Septembers ago. Um, and so I joined um, a team called Pillow Talk. And that was like just like the most... I, I was joking with my family because I got the email, I think it was over um, Thanksgiving. And I was like, I'm speechless. And I just like kept talking about how speechless I was. And my sister's like, when are you going to be speechless? Because I like couldn't stop talking about how excited I was that mm-hmm. I got put on the team. Um, but defined it as being speechless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, and then that team was retired, and then I was I auditioned again, and then was put on another team, good company, and then that is the last team that I was on, and that was retired last September, mm-hmm. and then I didn't go back again because it was no, that's not true. I auditioned again after good company and was not put back on a team, and that was the most devastated I think I've ever felt after a cut was because I had already tasted what it was like being on a house team mm-hmm. and knew what it felt like and how much I loved that community, the sense of community of every Tuesday I need to be at the Magnet Theater and hang out with all of my friends and rehearse with my teammates, and I loved that. And then I didn't have it anymore, and I just was so shaken and hurt. And, you know, and I also understand, you know, perspective looking back. I get it. Like, you got to give other people opportunity. I was on it for almost a year. Um, but it still it still stung. Mm-hmm. When um, when I was still running Wednesday Megawatt, um, you know, obviously, like I'm on the other side of that table a lot mm-hmm. for a lot for all of them, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that for people who were on a team and then didn't make the next round of teams, people who had a memory of what it was or an expectation of what it was, it would invariably be a much tougher thing than people who were really hungry for it. Mm-hmm. Because people who are hungry for it, th- there is such a thing, I don't know if it's as true for a musical megawatt as it is for a regular megawatt, mm-hmm. but there's a certain amount of disenchantment that goes along with making your first team. Especially if you audition multiple times because mm-hmm. you build up in your head what the experience is going to be like and mm-hmm. then you get to it and not only is it not what you think it's going to be, but you also have no idea now what it should be. And you're in this very, like there's a period of six months to a year where you kind of don't have the ground under your feet. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of learn, you either find your balance or you don't. But if you've been on that team, especially if you've had like a really wonderful experience and then you miss the next cut and you try again, now you have these expectations and they're grounded in actual you've tasted it, mm-hmm. you know, like you said. Yeah. Uh, um, and it makes it, it's a really, it fucks with a person's head. Mm-hmm. Being able to maintain your balance after that and being able to maintain your, your, your cool and not let that like fuck with your performance is like a biggie. Mm-hmm. That sucks. 
yeah, it sucked. So have you been keeping yourself away from it? How are you now? Um, I'm okay now. Um, yeah, I was keeping myself away from, like, I haven't really been to a Tuesday night. I've maybe been to one or two in the last year, yeah. which, like how you were talking about how when you're having a really hard day or a really sad day, you just turn on the TV and you just feel that everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That's what musical improv does for me, even just watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still haven't been able to bring myself to come because I know I'm just going to be so sad because yeah. that I'm not up there. Yeah. But then I can't seem to, you know, to um, negotiate being happy playing for Thank You For Coming Out because that is an opportunity to play and do musical improv. And I do it, um, but it, it's just, it's different. It's a different, um, for me, it's just different. Well, it's different. I mean, the show is yours. Mm-hmm. Which is a big difference. Yeah. It, it it a lot of it rides on you, which is very different. There, in a really good show, there's like a you strike this balance between ego and and selflessness. There's this kind of balance of like confidence that I own this and this is all mine, mm-hmm. and this kind of weird sense of like this is totally unimportant and I can lose myself in it and, and I have no stakes whatsoever. It's right. this like, beautiful spot where those two intersect. Yeah. Whereas like when you're producing a show and, and your name is all over the show, it's a very different thing because you want that show. The, the more you want it to succeed and do well, the more you're going to be focusing on like, oh God, I hope I don't fill in the blank of whatever you're most afraid of happening. Mm-hmm. It's this like, it, it's a double-edged sword, I guess, mm-hmm. or a contradiction, I guess. You want things to go as well as they possibly can, and that very wanting of them to go as well as they possibly can keeps you from feeling free enough to ripen. Yeah, and it's, I actually sat out one or two of thank you for coming outs yeah. because, of, because of that exact thing you just said. I want to make sure this is so good. I will ruin it if I'm in it. So I sat out. So you hold yourself back. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to let people down. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you, Dubs. There's a wisdom to that too, because I encounter that with myself sometimes. I know that my biggest, my biggest uh, um, psychological barrier when I'm playing is always, I don't want to let other people down. Mm -hmm. I don't want to let my teammates down. I don't want to let, students down who are who are in the audience and seeing me play for the first time I, I don't want people to think less of me but I also don't want to screw it up for them right I don't want my teammates to be having a great night and then I have to be the obstacle that they deal with mm-hmm. I don't want my students to come on out hoping to be entertained and they see a really half-hearted thing so then I'll hold myself back and then every now and again I'll realize the silliness of that or the counterproductiveness of it and I'll give myself permission to to be as free as possible mm-hmm. and I've certainly crossed the line and and gotten so free that I was in fact a handful on stage <laughs> I, but I think that actually I don't know now that I say that I also realize that like well how badly did I fuck up any show I doubt anybody's really thinking about it you gotta kind of counterbalance it a little bit you gotta kind of do the thing that you're really afraid of doing just to kind of see that like you make it and it's fine and nobody cares mm-hmm. and especially with like a really good group of people if you're surrounded by people like that who are holding your hand mm-hmm. to get you to sing a song mm-hmm. it's sort of like um wolverine a little bit and that like well, even if you fuck up a show and cause a deep gash in the show that's gonna heal real quick mm-hmm. i agree totally 
But you don't remember that in the moment. No, in the moment, it's like, <laughs> I'm ruining everything right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, there, there is, like, you ever play golf? No. But geez. <laughs> Sorry. Way to, no, way to shit on a whole sport <laughs> with, like, one tone of voice. <laughs> I don't play golf either, but... Uh, um, I've tried it a couple of times, and it's a really hard game because it's it's almost like the loneliest sport there is. Your chief competitor is yourself, and you have like two seconds to get your thing right and to be like completely intuitive with your body movement to hit this ball where it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And you really sense that your enemy out there is you yourself. You really sense that like your own ego and your own thinking mind is like so concerned about what the outcome of this is going to be mm -hmm. that it's watching everything that you're doing and you feel yourself split into two halves it's crazy yeah and you feel that when you're improvising too mm -hmm. when you're in the grips of that kind of self-consciousness to me that's exactly what it feels like i split into on stage and i'm just kind of in this like war with myself almost or like a wrestling match with myself mm-hmm I had a point that I was going to make, and I completely blanked on that point. So let's come back to it. Okay. You've built a wonderful community. Well, thank you for coming out. Thanks. Let's talk about that community. Okay. Um, uh, the show has, has, since you took over, mm -hmm. um, over a year, more than over a year. June, June 2015 was our first show. Okay. So year June, July, August, September, October. Jeez, you're coming up on a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, uh, it's doing great, and it's developed this really awesome community. Way to go. Thank you. Uh, can we talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about it. Great. The hell are you doing right? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm on Facebook all the time. It's big. Um, I, I don't know. I wonder if it's... I open my doors to anyone. So anyone who, uh, any level, any theater, um, they're welcome to play. Um, it's an LGBTQ show, so that, that's also a part of it. They, they should be part of that community as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really just... I like they say they should be, they, but not they have to be. Um, they probably have to be. But I like that be. you say they should be. But the thing is, is that I'm never going to question mm -hmm. um, anyone who says they want to play. Um, I just, I hope that if someone says that they want to play, it's because they're part of that community. Um, but again, like I'm not one to tell anyone what their identity is. So mm -hmm. if today they identify as LGBTQ and they want to be in the show and then in a month from now, they're like, eh, I'm not LGBTQ. Okay, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I think it's just having a really open door policy to, I guess, to some extent. Mm -hmm. but, um, and, um, I don't know what else I'm doing right. Just um, rotating the cast as much as possible to give everyone a chance to play. And, um, you know, I had a friend who had never done improv ever, ever, not even once, and he did the show. Mm -hmm. And now he's done it twice. And he loves it, and he is a natural at it. And it's so cool because um, I think, I think the, the big thing about this specific community is that when you're on the stage and you're among people who are a part of the same community, it, it is like a built-in openness and a built-in level of comfort. Mm -hmm. um, so you can just play how you want to play and not worry about getting labeled something that you didn't 
intend to be labeled as, if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and or, th- or please don't let me put words in your mouth, okay. but I would also assume that if you are labeled as that thing, it's a different experience than if you're labeled with someone where you can kind of, you go into it knowing that yes. there's just like an unthinking insensitivity behind their labeling. Yes, absolutely. That means, Sorry. No, no, that's exactly true and exactly right. Um, yeah, so... Um, other than that, I don't know what, I don't know. I think it was, I think that the show, you know, there was the show, there's no place like home. And then that kind of ended. And then there was no LGBTQ show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there needs to be one. Cause I want to feel at home mm-hmm. in a way that I don't in a lot of other situations. So that's how thank you for coming out was born. And, um, I think there's just a need for it. I think that that's why, I think that's why it's, it's not me. It's, there's a need for, um, a safe space to play and know that you're going to be supported no matter what your choice is. Mm -hmm. I think there's also one other element that you may be too humble to mention. Okay. I think it's pretty clear how much you love it. And Mm. I I think you kind of feel it when you go to see the show and you have a very non-annoying social media presence as well, where it's extremely clear that you're like pouring yourself into it. And I think that that goes a long way as well. It, it, it's a show that feels very, um, tended to and nurtured and cared for. There's a lot of, there's a lot of love Mm. there. I do love it. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, you have a benefit coming up as part of Nimeth. Yes. Can you talk about that? Yep, definitely. So um, as part of the New York Musical Improv Festival, Thank You for Coming Out is kind of headlining the big benefit. And we are raising money for um, the Ollie Forney Center. And basically what they do is um, help LGBTQ homeless youth off the street. So they have different... They call them tracks, and so there's one track of basic need of, like, somewhere to sleep, food, shower, medical care. And then once you've kind of finished that track, you go on to the second track, which is what do you want your future to look like besides alive? Because mm-hmm. most of it is, like, can I, I need to be alive right now. Um, and so they have interview um, ready readiness program, so they teach you how to interview and they teach you how to write your resume and they lend you clothing um, to wear to interviews and they have partnerships with all these organizations and corporations um, where they interview where they you can interview and actually get a job at these places Um, and then they have um, I think they have 12 or 13 sites other than their main site in Harlem um, for people to to live in and to start getting their life back on track that's amazing yeah one of the um one of the things that I found that I so T.J. Mannix is the the founder of the New York Musical Improv Festival, and we were we're in this uh, together, uh, this benefit portion of it, and we went we, he and I both went to the Ollie Forney Center in Harlem and toured it and got kind of got an in depth um, history all about it and and how it came to be. But um, anyway, so but one of the things that I thought was so cool was that these um, the people who are on the track of they have an apartment and they have a job. Um, to, to have the apartment, they have to work or be in school for 35 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but they have to pay rent based on their income. And at first I was like, oh, that's interesting. They have to pay rent. I mean, I get it. But then the second thing that he said was, then we teach them how to open a bank account and that money goes into their own bank account. And when they graduate from the program, they get their money back from the rent that they're paying. Wow. Yeah. And as soon as he, like, I started crying, I was just like, this is so beautiful. And yeah. it's just, 
it really, you know, there are people out there who spend their day jobs, their lives helping other people and helping LGBTQ kids and adults. And um, it really shook me that, you know, I'm doing Thank You for Coming Out and it's, you know, we do benefits. I think I've done, I've done four mm-hmm. and I have two more this year, including the Ollie Forney Center one. And, um, but I want to do more. Yeah. It just makes me want to do more all the time because I feel like there's so much more to be done. Uh, uh, do you have a website for them in case someone listening to this missed the show, which is very possibly likely depending on the order that you're listening to these episodes? Is there a website that people can go to support? Check it out. Um, the Ollie Forney Center? Yeah. Um, I think it's the OllieFornyCenter.org, but um, I could be wrong. Um, it is. I'm getting a thumbs is. up oh, from yeah. Evan. Uh, can we spell that? Ollie Forney Center? A L I F O R N E Y center.org please do check that out that's amazing yeah it's a really really cool organization so yeah. i'm really glad that we're able to uh, raise money for it yeah all right we're going to move on to the middle portion of of our conversation okay this is called getting to know each other here's how it works for for three to five minutes i'm going to give a suggestion um and whatever that brings up in your mind uh, uh that you're comfortable sharing you'll dive into a truthful story about yourself okay and then as you're talking at any point i can interrupt you to launch into something truthful about myself inspired by anything that you mentioned mm-hmm. and then at any point you can cut me off and I can cut you off, et cetera, back and forth for Excellent. three to five minutes. Um, Dubs Weinblatt, are you ready for getting to know each other? Two-person monologue hotspot. I'm ready. The suggestion is uh, 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 coffee and cake. I didn't have coffee until I was 25. And it was, it was such a naive thing. My mom was like, just try it. And I was like, I don't want to. I don't know how. She's like, what do you mean you don't know how? I was like, I don't know like how you make it. Like, How do you know how much cream to put in? How do you know how much sugar to put in? She's like, you just have to trial and error it. And she was kind of like poking fun at me because it seemed like such a simple... I think that you do, in fact, you have to force yourself to drink coffee at first. There's a certain hump. Coffee and, and liquor both are yeah. things. And cigarettes even. And beer. And beer. Yeah. They're, they're an acquired taste mm-hmm. and you have to put the effort in to like, make yourself enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I myself, this is one of my... like. I'm trying to be better at this, but I'm a very fussy kind of person where I don't want to roll my sleeves up and just like get into anything mm-hmm. unless I've read nine books on the subject and kind of understand the general theoretical principles of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm learning maybe the only bit of wisdom I'm accumulating in this life as I get older is you just got to do shit and figure it out as you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about um, producing a show. It was just like I had no idea what I was doing when I said that I wanted to do it. And it was just like I could have read books or, you know, whatever. But instead I just was like, okay, I just have to dive in and do it. So just in learning along the way is like all I've done is just like making mistakes. I made a huge mistake in the first show of not um, vetting my storytellers. And the storyteller was doing a bit instead of telling their coming out story. And it was offensive and people were upset. Um, and that was my first show. And so it was one of those like learn from everything moments of. One of my favorite things about making mistakes, I read this thing from Yo-Yo Ma. And Yo-Yo Ma was talking about um, how a performance, uh, like when he plays it like Carnegie Hall or whatever, he wants the audience to feel like they are guests at, at a party that he's throwing. 
and that you don't want to walk into a party and feel that the host is really tense and tightly wound because then that makes everybody else feel tense and tightly wound. Mm-hmm. So, so Yo-Yo Ma wants people to feel at ease. But the thing that creates tension in him is the worry that he's going to let people down mm. by fucking up. So he, he said that he likes to get his mistakes out early in the concert so that once he gets them out, he knows that all right, the worst has already happened. And even if I make a mistake from here on in, I've already made mistakes. So I made this imperfect already. And once he gets those mistakes in the beginning of the concert, he's able to relax and he's able to feel like a good host and he gets to play with the energy of the audience rather than feel like he has to perform for them. I find that so beautiful. That is beautiful. Uh, when I was, I get, everything goes back to thank you for coming out, but um, for the Pride show that was in June, I was up on stage and it was a packed, packed, packed room. And I think it was the most people that have ever been at a thank you for coming out. And um, Sarah Bareilles was in the audience who I admire very much. And I, I fumbled over almost every word that I said. And it was just like, it, but it didn't even matter because I just was like, this is the best night of my life. It was just, um, it, was, it was one of those things where it was like, it doesn't matter what I'm saying up here is that, but like the spirit of the show and everything that comes from it is what people are going to remember. They're not going to remember me not knowing what three thirds are instead of two halves. I think that's a pretty good place to end getting to know each other more like hotspot. It's fabulous. Amazing. All right. We have one more portion for, for today. Okay. I'm going to have you improvise the scene. Now this is called improvising a very serious scene opposite a jar of pickles. Here's Mm. how it works. Okay. Uh, uh, Dubs, you are going to be improvising a two-person scene opposite a literal, actual jar of pickles. This is, is a B&G, New York Deli-style jar of pickles. They're kosher. They're kosher. Good. It's unopened. They look delicious. Mm-hmm. Courtesy of Evan, our producer, you got these pickles. Where do you get these pickles? Uh, the Hannah Mart street. Beautiful. Right here. Right here. Local. Right here in K-Town. Right underneath the uh, training center. Here's the situation. So here's, here's how this goes. I'm going to give you a situation for a scene. It's a very serious scene. Okay. The only rule for this scene is that when you address the jar of pickles, you address it as jar of pickles, as if that is its name. Otherwise, just a totally straight up, dead serious, two-person improv scene. Okay. Here's your situation. You are uh, uh, on a, a flight to see your best friend your best friend let's say your best friend moved to a work has relocated your best friend they're living in let's say um japan okay so you're on a flight to tokyo midway through the flight uh, uh two of the engines blew out and you hit this uh, uh, like horrible horrible uh, 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 uh whatchamacallit um you know the plane got all like shaky and what turbulence turbulence mm-hmm. and whatnot uh, um they have called for like emergency positions and right now you are flying over the ocean looking for a place to softly crash land into the ocean so you know that you're going down and even the flight attendants have been honest enough to let you know that they've never actually experienced this before so tension is really really high this stranger who you are sitting next to is this jar of pickles earlier in the flight the two of you got into like a bit of a tiff with each other about like sleeping and like resting head on like which arm so you had like some shit with each other early on but now in this moment of crisis the jar of pickles is having a complete emotional breakdown and in this scene you are going to be talking this jar of pickles through you're going to be bonding you're going to be reaching out to make a human empathic connection with this jar of pickles dubs yep take it away very serious scene opposite a jar of pickles Listen, Jar of Pickles, I know that 
I know that we've had our differences in the past few hours, but you have to stay with me. You have to just grip my hand. Yep, tighter. No, not so tight. Not so tight. Jar of pickles. We're going to, even if we don't make it through, I just know, I just know that heaven will accept both of us with open arms and open forks. Listen, jar of pickles. I know. Stop crying. All those salty tears, jar of pickles. I know, I know your life is being cut short, but mine is too. But this is, these are the cards that we were dealt, jar of pickles. I know, I know. Ow, my hand, jar of pickles, please. Please, jar of pickles. If you could just do one thing, can you just breathe away from me, your breath? <laughs> jar of pickles, please. I know, I know it's going to be hard, but we're going to make it through. Because I believe, jar of pickles. Why don't you believe me? I was right about the snack pack earlier. Why don't you believe me about this now? Jar of pickles. I'm sorry that I, I rested my head on you. I know <laughs> I, was being, I was being a big person and I was trying to be, you know, unsympathetic towards what you needed. And now that, now that it matters, I need, to just, I need you to know how sorry I am. And I'll, I would never do it to you again if we had a second chance, but I don't know that that's going to be a thing, Jar of pickles. Those tears, they just... <laughs> and scene. A lovely, a lovely connection. I think, Evan, I think this has been our, our best scene yet. Our best serious scene opposite of Jar Pickles. Oh, thanks. How delightful. Thank you. Before we end, can I just ask you a quick question sure. about the two delightful tattoos? You have one tattoo that says, learn from everything. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you. You have another tattoo of three birds. Yep. Can I ask just the story behind those two tattoos? Sure. Um, quickly, the three little birds are Bob Marley's. Um, don't worry about a little. Uh, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. Great. You know, the three little birds song. Yeah. Learn from everything is. Um, it's actually a quote that I coined, and the the quotable card. Um, you can buy them like at any store. I submitted the quote, and they bought it off me basically um and so now it's um a tote bag and a wall hang and a calendar and a magnet and a canvas or uh that's a wall hang a card um so that learned from everything um is something that just it always sticks out to me and so i had them after they designed the card have them design um a special tattoo for me and that's what you see that's pretty fantastic thanks Dubs Weinblad, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming out. <laughs> Plugs, uh, uh, um, websites. So we have thank you for coming out, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what else would you like to plug? Um, Where well, can people find out more? People can find out more at thankyouforcomingout.info. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Um, we have a big show coming up December 12th. That's my birthday. Um, it is a benefit. I haven't yet announced who the nonprofit organization is yet or any of the guest stars. But um, everyone mark your calendars for December 12th. Great. At the Magnet Theater. December 12th, 2016. 2016. Dubs, thanks again. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. A couple of other big thank yous. First off, to our producer, Evan Ford Barden. To our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg. To our executive producer, Ed Herpsman. And to all of you fine people to listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, please go into iTunes or um, uh, 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 the... Stitcher uh, to uh, I was going to say to find out more to give us a positive rating and shout out that would be a delightful thing indeed uh, thank you all very much one more time for the delightful Dubs Weinblatt thank you everyone and goodbye you've been listening to the Magnet Podcast 
This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.